0: to maximize this sermon we have to do a bit of a test pattern right now okay you those of you who had the old time sets where you adjust the colors and you had the the color bars up there you'll understand what i'm talking about for clarity nowadays you have uh, printer alignment diagnostics so this is going to be the preacher congregation test pattern here's what we're going to do i know it's going to seem a little silly but it's going to enhance your experience of all things so everybody from this side over right now i'd like for you to say the word watermelon Alright, thank you. Thank you. When I point at you again, I want you to say watermelon. Right over here from this side over, I want you to say cantaloupe. Alright. Watermelon. Cantaloupe. Watermelon. Cantaloupe. Very good. Thank you for that. Now I want all of us together on this channel right here. I want us to say the word peccadillo. peccadillo. Okay, do it again. Peccadillo. There you go. Do you know what that is? That's what you get when you cross a pickle at an armadillo. So there you go. Uh, the joke, the joke worked. Okay, so we're checking that off the diagnostic. That's good. Now l- l- let me ask you to do this because now you're 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 loosened up. You're ready. I know that you can fully amen parts of the sermon that are meaningful to you. And uh, now I'm not just going to ask for that. I'm going to let you share that, and I'm going to ask you a question. And if you agree here in a second, you can amen. Now I have to do that because sometimes you know it's like your cylinders in your engine. You have to get them all going. And I'm going to tell you, the David Burns cylinder is over-firing on the amens. He's carrying all the weight for you people now. He's leading you. He wants you to join in. Amen, David Burns? Amen. See there? He's showing you how it's done. Hey, if you were here last week and your experience of talk it up was, was good, I want to hear you say amen. amen. Very good. All right. And that, that is an encouragement. And I want you to know this. It's going to continue. So if you have the hope and the confidence that the things that we started last week are going to continue for God's good, then I would invite you to say amen. amen. All right, then we are, we are off to a good start here. Thank you for helping me through that little test here. Um, the focus of our worship today is God's grace, and I, w- I want you to think about what God's grace means. It means not just that where there was... Um, where there was death and where there was sin, that now God by his grace creates mercy and hope, it means that everything looks different to a follower of Christ. That's where vision really comes from. Because look at this verse from Proverbs 29, 18. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where else have you seen the word perishing? You see it in statements like John chapter 3. That God sent His only Son. God is, you see it in passages like uh, uh, 1 Peter, that God is not willing that any should perish. So we know that God's actions in this world have to do with salvation. And then you see this scripture from Proverbs, which connects vision or the lack of vision and perishing. That tells me that there must be some connection between grace and vision. And last week, when we saw, a vision for what could be, taking the structure of this building, uh, doing things with this building that would enhance it and improve it. Uh, when we gathered up in our talk-it-ups, and we talked about being friendly, inviting, intimate, participatory, and we talked about all of those designs, and, and everybody had a chance to share, and, and we're going to continue to do that, but we were talking about our identity in all of this all month long. Our elders have been encouraging us to think about what it means for us to be friendly, inviting, intimate, and participatory. And I tell you that all of this has to do with a vision. Not just of what we can do to change this physical structure, but changing this physical structure so that it can become a resource. So that it can become a a tool, a visible, tangible resource, so that we as God's people can do more in his mission here, across the street, and around the world. All of this comes together. There's, there's a real momentum here, and I want to express my own ex- experience of the Talk It Up last week. That um, I've been encouraged to hear your conversations. Both in groups, and after the groups, and uh, just talking to me, either in person or sending me a note. Uh, it, it's been great. To just see some of you around town and you've told me how good it was. I really think there is a momentum here. And uh, it kind of reminds me of that Lowe's commercial. Let's build something together. We, we have that kind of attitude now. And, and, I don't, and I think that everyone understands that when we say together, we mean with one another. But we also mean by the grace of God. We mean with God's help. Great things are going to take place. All of this energy is motivated by our desire to join God in what He's doing right here. We've chosen not to waste away. We've chosen not to give up. But we believe that where there is vision, God's people will not perish. And we've chosen not to be foolhardy. We're not going to be presumptuous. We're going to think this through. But we're not going to be afraid to take the next steps either. That's my experience of where we're at right now. We're going to keep up the momentum. I know we will because God's Spirit empowers us to be what He intends to be. It's who we are. I want you to realize something, too, that that you and I right now are living out the dreams and the visions of others who've gone before us. They couldn't predict every detail of what 2016 would be like. If you go back 10, 20, 30, 40 years, they could predict some things, they could predict some trends, but they could see the future no more than you and I can see the future. It's always going to be a guess, even an educated guess on our part. But those people who were living back in that age, even the ones who took the efforts to make this facility or to expand it in 2000, or or those who, who worked with the congregation's that led into the formation of this congregation. Or maybe you have your own timeline from where you came from, where visionary people got behind efforts that maybe shared the gospel with you and your family or the generations ahead of you. Whatever it is, I want you to know that you and I are living out the dream and the vision of those who came before us. And I imagine that they probably had their moments where they doubted were they second-guessed their own plans. They probably had their worries, just like you and I do. And they certainly had their critics, and they had criticism. But regardless of the details that they did not know, regardless of the setbacks, regardless of the criticism, they had one overwhelming desire. They wanted to practice a faith that would outlive their years on earth. They wanted more and more people to share In God's love and grace. They wanted that for their neighbors. They wanted that for their family. They wanted that for the generations not born. You and I live in the dreams and the visions of people who've gone before us. You and I thrive because of those visionary disciples of God. And you see in effect... I've kind of boiled it down to a very simple equation. What Proverbs 29 is talking about, that with vision comes life. With no vision comes perishing. When you take us and you subtract God's vision, then the people waste away. We waste away. We stumble around in the dark. I know that God's vision in that Proverbs 29 text can also mean the revelation of God. It can mean God's teaching, whatever it is, whether it's through the law or whether it's through Jesus Christ. All of that comes together to be God's vision, God's vision for the way we ought to live, God's vision for where we can go to serve him in both the general sense and the specific. But when you subtract God's vision from our life, it leads to wasting away. It leads to perishing, if not our own, that of others'. But turn that around. Change that equation. And when you add God's vision in with us, what do you get? You get thriving. That's why you and I are here today. Because people, generations before us said, I want a faith that outlives my years. I want generations to come to have a place to worship. I want them to have a sense of what God's mission is. I want them to have a desire and a motivation to go to other countries, to go to other nations, to go across the street, to have the kind of education, to have the kind of knowledge and the kind of of confidence that they can talk to others. We are blessed because there were those who had God's vision and they thrived because of it. And because of that, you and I thrive. When there's a vision of what God is doing, then we don't waste away because w- instead we know the truth that God is able to do anything. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now, I'm going to check my diagnostics again. That ought to get some amen. God is able to do anything. Yeah, you need, we need to say that because we need to convince one another that we don't, that's not just some churchy thing that we say. God's able to do anything. Well, yeah, in theory, God's able to do anything. But, you know, in reality, I mean, that's a lot of money. Okay, it doesn't work that way. God is able to do anything means anything. It doesn't mean that we have some naive overconfidence. It means that we're staking our future on his promises. And I want to ask you, what promises are more secure than that? I mean, honestly, you know, you get on an airplane, you go drive your car today, you're trusting that there's some set of engineers somewhere that are no better than God, okay? And we put a lot of confidence in that. If we can put confidence in that, then we can put confidence in God. When we believe that God is able to do anything, then we know this, that the burden of the future is not going to crush us. That the burden of the future is not going to be our end. And we also know that the burden of the future is not totally up to us to produce it. But what we do instead is come alongside God That God's going somewhere. He's not some frail God in a box that we have to bring out to worship, that we have to carry around, that we have to protect like He's some sort of piece of delicate china, that He'll get broken if people say the wrong thing, that He'll get offended and walk away if we do the wrong thing. No, God knows where He's going and He's inviting us to come with Him. He has endured and He asks us to come with Him and trust in Him. We know that we are not damned if we struggle for God and might fail. That failure in worldly terms does not equal failure in God's terms. We know, rather, that we are condemned when we take our talents and we take our resources and we bury them and do nothing. No one likes to think about Failure. I've already mentioned it. It seems to lead to great discouragement. As soon as you mention failure, you bring up the negative. The whole conversation changes. It's as if we are admitting that, that failure means suddenly we're cursed. So perhaps we name failure or we start getting all of our worries of failure, all of our risk worries all of our doubts all of our criticism maybe we get all of that out there on the table so that we can justify doing nothing and we say it's too foolish it's too crazy to take a risk be better off if we just did nothing and then nothing would ever go wrong and we end up burying our talents i want you to think about that and I want you to be honest with yourself. And then I want you to ask, ask, ask this question. Because listen, I'll confess to you. I have been guilty of burying my talents. I have been guilty of finding the, 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 the wonderful, easy warmth of mediocrity. It, it, I'll tell you what, mediocrity doesn't really give me headaches. I mean, it's kind of it's nice sometimes. But it will not sustain. And here's the question. How many of us were blessed by people who were worried and buried their talents? When you think about the people that made a difference in your life, how many of them would you point to and say, you know what, that was a mediocre person and they never did anything for anybody and their name's never going to be remembered and I don't know that they really did anything for God and when you talked about it, they said, let's just better not. Those aren't the people that you think of when you think about the people who blessed you. The people who blessed you, and I'm not saying that they were They were outrageous, but I am saying that they were people who believed in something bigger than themselves. I stand here before you as the result of God working through the lives of people who chose to trust in God, who who chose to take a risk because they believed in God, people who did make mistakes, but they didn't let the critics sway them. I'm a product of what some told the people at that time, were flawed and failed ministry. And I started going through my list, and I started thinking, what were some of those things? I remember hearing one day that bus ministry was a failure, the biggest failure in our churches. Well, I guess there were some fair criticisms or some concerns. Fuel costs were too high that uh, the machinery, the buses, tended to break down, sure. then there were harsh criticisms. He brought in all those kids that were disruptive, and they didn't know how to behave. Well, that's not their fault. Then there were unfair criticisms. It didn't get the numbers we wanted. didn't get the numbers we wanted. What kind of numbers did we want? And whoever said that we got to set numbers when we go about this stuff? I I know this number when it comes to bus ministry. Four. Four is the number of my family. And without the visionary people at that church in Fayetteville who ran that bus down our neighborhood, those four people wouldn't know Christ failed ministry but thank god somebody did that flawed ministry anyway someone said you know vbs it's too old school it's homespun it's dog-eared it's from a time gone by uh, it's a bunch of babysitting Doesn't fit the reality of summer activities and the new realities of families. Well, maybe all that's true. Maybe some of that's true. But you know what? I'm glad that we had a little homespun, dog-eared VBS at that little church out there in, in Winslow. And that we brought old Ed Spurlock in because what he did was that one night, there I am, the only teenager. I don't think they expected anybody to be there. But it was in that setting, me and me alone. That it created an opportunity for me to hear that being a disciple of Christ was more about joy rather than fire insurance to keep you out of hell. And I don't, I don't think I would have gone any further or taken my faith seriously if not for that. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons why it didn't work, and there's a lot of ways they could have done it better. But thank God somebody did it anyway, even though it was flawed, because I got to hear the gospel. You know, there's always some criticism of short term missions, short term missions. Not sure that's the best way to do things. It distracts It distracts from, from long-term missions. It's a waste of money. The funds could be better spent elsewhere. It's always dangerous. There's too much liability. Something's always going in the, on in the world. Maybe we ought to just say safe, safe at home. But I thank God that somebody did a short-term mission trip anyway. Because when I was a college freshman, I was asked by a flawed man, hey, how would you like to go on this mission trip? And I said, oh, that'd be great. I can't do it. And he said, what if I told you you can? And I don't think that I would have taken ministry seriously or even thought about the profession of being a minister without that experience. Oh, let me tell you, I was on that trip. There was a lot of things that did go wrong. But thank God that somebody did it anyway because a lot of good came out of it, and I got to see God at work, and I thought about giving my life to God in his service for the first time. I heard people say that campus ministry doesn't really make much sense. We ought to send all of our kids to Christian schools. College students take too much money away from the budget. I mean, here you are. You're going to reach out to these college students. How much do they put back? Who said that we get to look at things from an economic standpoint like that? Are we followers of Christ or are we Marxists? I mean, what's the deal here? Are we capital? What is the deal here? Thank God someone started a campus ministry up there at the University of Arkansas, Fayetteville. I hadn't even heard about it until I got up there and I had a few friends invite me. And I'm telling you, I wasn't taking my faith seriously. I thought I had it all together. I had the right badge. I knew how to wear the Christian T-shirt. I had done all the stuff I was supposed to do. And I could also do the stuff I wasn't supposed to do. And I I was great. I was a theologian because I could justify all of that. And I had biblical excuses for it. But I met friends, people my age, who were taking their faith seriously. Now I wasn't being scolded by older people who were disapproving of what I did. But I had friends my own age who challenged me and said, Is this what it means to be a follower of Christ? And it woke me up. And I don't know if all of that was always favorable. I don't know if churches sometimes found it a burden to carry all of that. But Thank God somebody did it anyway. And I'm thankful that other people got involved in that too, like my wife Karen. She got involved in that. She thought she wanted to go to that school instead of the Christian school. She goes there. And I'm thankful that that group was there for her because then we got to meet. And God blessed me in that. You know all of these things can be criticized, like academics. Oh, I've been through academics where it was criticized. I was at a school. By the way, you'll see here in me telling this story, you know, you want to know which side of the fence I come down on, on Christian schools versus state school campus ministry? Uh, I've I've torn the fence down. That's what I've done, because I'm a product of both, and I don't think it's an either-or choice. Uh, But I've heard the criticism. Uh, i disconnects our preachers from the people. turns them into ivory tower people. It's unnecessary. The Bible's easy to understand. What do we need all that highfalutin learning for? You know, it's too scholarly. It's It's not active enough. It's flawed. Yeah, it is flawed. Let me tell you, I've seen the flaws. Big time, I've seen the flaws. But I tell you that when I went to graduate school, I met mature and Christian men and women who at just the right time, right time when I needed it, they taught me that it's not just about filling your head with knowledge, but it's about filling your heart with God's Spirit. And they told me that if you are going to be a preacher and a minister to God's people, you need to be prepared. You need to take this seriously. You need to do the things right now at this time in your life so that years from now you are prepared. And man, have I found that to be true. All these things, and I could come up with more stuff and put it on my list You could come up with things for your own list. All of these things, I guess somebody can point out how it's flawed or how it's failed. But I just say, thank God for visionary people who took the risks, who devoted themselves to flawed and failed ministries because they knew that they were flawed and failed. And they did it anyway. And many of them, for just such a time as this, were the people that God needed to change the lives of others. i imagine you could say the same thing as i said you could have your own list i can't you know and i look and i here's another thought when i look at these things and, and for me these are very real memories and i've had the privilege and i thank god for it to go to the people who did those things and i know that they had their doubts and i know that they had their critics And I know that they had their frustrations when they were doing those ministries. And I know from many of you who were involved in ministries like this and other ministries in the life of this church. And I know from people who are no longer with us, but they were involved in ministries ages ago right here in this church. That they had their critics and and they were frustrated and they had their doubts and worries. But I've had the privilege of meeting with some of those people and saying, "You, you did something that made a difference for me and in my life. And you've inspired me to do the same and when I look at all of that I think about those people who made a difference but you know who I don't think about who I can't think about are the critics I don't think I remember any of the critics in any of these things maybe one or two but you know what the second I even go there I don't want to think about them anymore you know why because it doesn't matter it doesn't count It's too easy to criticize. I'm not the first person to recognize that. I want to show you a quote that's always meant something to me. It's from Teddy Roosevelt, 1910. It's from a speech called The Man in the Arena. He says this, It's not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails... At least he fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. <laughs> Amen, Teddy Roosevelt on that. You know, but wait a second, that's just worldly wisdom from a president, isn't it? Is it? Or is it very similar to the wisdom that Timothy or that Paul gives Timothy when he says God did not give us a spirit of cowardice but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline the point here is that it's so easy to criticize and why would any of us especially when God is involved want to be a critic on the sidelines talking about how the doer of deeds could do it better or how the strong ones stumble when what we need to do is get in the arena but you'll get hurt that way in the arena You'll get get bloodied. You'll get beat up. Yeah. But at least if you fail, you know that you failed trying valiantly. And God sees that. God knows that. Jesus Christ himself set his face toward Jerusalem. And he did not look back. And he knew that in worldly terms, he was going to fail. Don't think for a minute that any of those disciples saw the cross and thought, Oh, well, now wait. This doesn't work out. There were very few of them even who were able to say, you know, somehow this is all going to work out. Why did they abandon him? Why did they turn on him? Because they were being critical. They were being critical. And when Peter says, I don't know this man, he means it. Jesus had let him down. But God takes that failure and turns it into triumph. But Jesus had to stay the course. He had to to follow God's will anyway. When God's Spirit gives us vision, a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of self-discipline, we're not talking about being foolhardy and reckless, we're talking about having vision. Then when we have vision, God's people thrive, despite criticism, despite doubt, despite worry, despite the challenges, they thrive we can apply this to so many things we can apply it to the experiences that you will have as a christian at any point in your life but i want to apply it right now to what we've decided to do what we've thought about doing what we're encouraged and excited about doing as a church and i've said that you and i are blessed by people who lived generations before us now i want you to look in the other direction towards the future and i want you to just imagine with me i want you to imagine what it would be like Maybe 10 years from now, or 20 years from now. And in in that future, this building here is firmly established in the midst of the University of Arkansas-Fort Smith campus. The mission field has come to us. There are groups of young adults now walking across the parking lot, walking all around this building. And right out here, right outside this worship center, there's a a patio area, an open area that looks somewhat like these drawings. But the point is, there's people out there. There's people out there fellowshipping, drinking coffee together, maybe having lunch. And this group of students walks past there, and the people on that patio invite them to come over and, and talk with them. And as they're talking, this friendly, inviting group Says you know we're going to have a cookout right here At the end of this week won't you join us And so now there's a cookout on that open patio There's young people Old people alike Participating in that feast The passers by who were invited They've come to that and, and, and now they meet some of the older Members of this congregation Who are serving food And the older people get to know them And they listen to their stories And the young passers-by talk about their interests. And then one of them starts talking about her needs. She knows that these are a people who pray. And so she asks for some prayers. She says that it's been challenging to be in a new city going to school here. And that she wants a career that not only makes money, but she wants a career that helps people. And she started a new job working for a company in this town. And she hopes that that might enable her to help other people. And the older couple, the members of this congregation that meets here, in the future, they do pray for her. They promise to pray for her. But some of what she says reminds them of a class. And they say, why don't you come to this class on Sunday? Because some of the things that they'll be talking about there will, that, that matter to you are going to be going on in that class. And now it's Sunday. And the congregation has gathered to worship. And there's people right here in a common area. they're they're gathered inside around a welcome center, around a library there's an inviting spirit to everyone who enters and a different couple, an older couple from out of town they arrive. they've just moved here and someone there in that greeting place offers them a cup of coffee they introduce themselves to each other and the older couple says they've retired, they've moved to this town Because they've come here to help out their family And they actually seem a bit apologetic To the person who offered them coffee Because their family, their children Are not followers of Jesus But they're glad to be able to help But oh how they miss their home congregation The person who offers them the coffee says Tell me about that home congregation Tell me about the people you left They said they're a friendly bunch They're like family to us They're not just people we attend with They're our family And we stay in touch with them. But we know that maybe we need to be here. And so the person handing them the coffee says, Well, I've got some encouragement for you. I want to assure you that this congregation, and I've known it for years, this congregation is just like the one you left. And I'm hopeful that this can be just some measure of the kind of family that you had back in your hometown. Just then, that young passerby, that student, that that young woman who was greeted... By the young people on that patio. She comes into that welcome center. She recognizes the person sharing the coffee with the older couple. She comes up, says hello. The person with the coffee introduces her to the older couple who've just moved to town. And in the process of the introductions, they find out that this young woman is working for the children of this older couple who do not yet know Jesus. And it's at that moment that that older couple turns to the person with the coffee with that knowing look that says, who knows? Maybe it was for just such a reason as this that we've come here to this place. And the person sharing the coffee cannot help but think how many times in all of the generations that I've been here have I seen this work of God play out over and over again? Well, oh, that's just a fictional story, though. That's just a story of the future. That's just an imagining. Uh huh. That's vision. But I never said, and you can't say that that's not a true story. Only time will tell if that's anything like a true story. And the decisions that you and I make today can impact the faith of people 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now. This is a lesson that I've taught long before today, long before Talk It Up. Our college students have heard me say this to them, that the decisions that they make today can impact the faith of people 50 years from now. And I'll say the same thing to you. How do you know that's true? Because your faith, my faith, is impacted by the decisions of people who lived 30, 40, 50, thousands of years ago. We can have that spirit. It's a promise from God. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches and he says, God intends to pour out his spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young will see visions and your old will dream dreams. So why don't we dare to imagine that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And then we'll see if stories like that one that I just told cannot come true. I know they'll come true because I've seen that story happen before. But what decisions will you and I make today? Today as we sing this song, we're going to invite God to build his kingdom here. Without the kingdom of God, and only God can build his kingdom. Without the kingdom of God, all of our buildings, all of our classes, all of our mission trips, they don't, they don't, they don't amount to anything. But as they are reflections of God's kingdom-building work, and we lean into it and participate with it, then people in generations to come, and even today, will be blessed by it. So as we sing this song, let's invite God to build his kingdom in us. And if there's anyone who needs to respond to God's invitation for prayer or to be baptized, there will be shepherds here standing ready. Let's stand. Let's sing and encourage one another.